I I had left boxing and I literally tried to convince the CFO at the startup company I had. I was like, the odds for this are only five to one for Mayweather. You should take all the money we have and bet it on Floyd Mayweather. There is never an easier time to put like a million dollar bet down. Even if you don't want to take all of it, take a million bucks. Like there's never a better time to make 200 grand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Tourist Information. My guest this week is former HBO marketing executive Evan Rutkowski, who now is working at Ring City, bringing boxing back to the middle of the week. And we go down the line of the top 50 boxing pay-per-views of all time. Just because this Mike Tyson, Roy Jones thing and its wild success, um, I thought we need to look at what makes a pay-per-view success with boxing. And we go through a lot of fun fights. I offer a lot of dad jokes, despite not being a dad myself. Um, But Evan is a friend of mine and really, really smart on this stuff and a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy Evan Rutkowski and I going through the top 50 pay-per-views, at least according to Boxing Insider from January 2020. (laughs) But nothing has surpassed any of them. Uh, At least we don't quite know the numbers with Mike Tyson yet and and Roy Jones. Maybe maybe it should be on the list. It sounds like it did about a a million and a half pay-per-views, which is mind-blowing. So I hope you enjoy Evan Rutkowski and I on this week's episode of Tourist Information. We have brought in Evan Rutkowski, who, aside from previously working for HBO in a marketing capacity, a lot of people don't know this, I don't know if you'd appreciate it being disclosed, but is a bit of a black ops operator in that he has done ghost marketing for every major pay-per-view that we are discussing today. <laughs> <laughs> Even the ones I was... Uh... A, a little, a little child for. <laughs> it's it's really remarkable, and we are really privileged to have you on. <laughs> um, you know, the Mozart of marketing is something that people on the inside of boxing have always called you since you were three years old working on this. I, I'm, I'm not sure actually what the earliest pay per view is that we'll cover, but um, yeah. I, <laughs> Weirdly enough, we're we're using this article. We might be covering the one that just happened a few days ago, actually. (laughs) That might actually be in there. Well, let's, I mean, let's start there. Um, That's a good place to start to frame this. Uh, What I heard from insiders that I contacted was it did at least a million pay-per-views and possibly did as many as 1.5 million, which blows my mind. Well, I, I'm going to blow your mind even more. I think there's a good chance from my discussions that it might even hit two million. Two million at fifty dollars a pop. It's I, now that is me being optimistic, and I think that's certain operators being optimistic. But and I don't have 
I can only go up for streaming numbers. I don't have an inside track on on really what that is. I'm I'm kind of extrapolating that. On, I've heard that from now like four different places, um, and it's all a little bit different. So I, I'm not really sure what the actual answer is for streaming. But the actual the traditional pay per view is going to come in really really strong, and as they continue the counts, um, you know, I I think. I think 1.5 is probably the floor. I, I, I think there's a good chance of hitting 2 million, yeah. Um, especially if the streaming numbers are on the high end, for what I've heard, they have a pretty good shot of hitting it. If, if, if it's not on the high end, then they won't. But, uh, you know, but it, it's, it certainly sounds like the floor is going to be 1.5 million, <laughs> which is, which is, is awesome, I mean, quite frankly. Well, then the next question, I mean, since you have done marketing for every single combat pay-per-view that's been successful in history, is <laughs> does, does Evander Holyfield and Tyson, I, I mean, I'm going to disclose this because I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but I contacted Tyson's publicist to talk to him, and she said, my friend, and I'm not friends with her, <laughs> we... <laughs> We are going. We're very happy to have you interview Tyson, but it's going to have to be in three weeks when we have a big announcement. So, if you had to speculate what that big announcement is, presumably it's probably Holyfield, isn't it? Yeah, no, they're going to do this stuff again. Um, so, I think I think the thoughts from inside the industry are so number one, they they did. For a fight that was that ended up doing, um, you know, let, let's just for let's just for safety's sake, let's just say for a fight that easily is going to clear one million pay-per-view buys, this is probably the least amount of paid marketing um, they've ever done. Uh, there was, I would say, healthy skepticism within the industry that this would catch fire, um, and. I understand that healthy that healthy skepticism, and and so one attitude uh, might be that the sort of the worlds aligned, you know, like the stars aligned, everything went perfect for this, and they're never going to be this good again, um, because a lot of the press leading up to this was negative, and, and they just no one was really sure how this was going to fit in. But I think uh, the casual fan. Uh, even it's, I'm not even sure it was casual boxing fans. I think it was just, you know, fans of stars. I think most of them walked away happy with, with what they bought for 50 bucks. And by the way, it was 50 bucks. I think it was 49.95, which, uh, which is another interesting marker for the, the, the core boxing fan. And, and I think if you, if, if you're really analyzing Kind of like number one, it sucks for for Spence Garcia. Uh, <laughs> if you're a core boxing fan, it's just like, oh man, like that's there's got to be. You just have to think there's got to be people that ordered the Tyson pay per view who were relatively happy with it, who now aren't going to spend. It's not just fifty dollars again. Like you know, I'm guessing I haven't even looked at the price of Spence Garcia. I think it's either, it's going to be either seventy five or eighty bucks. They're just going to say no to that, um, and and they would have been candidates to buy it 
previously. So that, and, and I'm not saying, I don't know that that changes the number dramatically. I think most, most boxing fans who are going to buy Spence Garcia are just still going to buy it, you know? Yeah. But there's certainly on the margins and with a, you know, in, in this day and age, every margin counts in, in, in real pay-per-view boxing. And let's be clear, like Spence Garcia is a real, like, boxing pay-per-view. Like, there, there's, you have to look at that and, and say, you know, th- there's no way that fight's going to get done not on pay-per-view, realistically, in terms of the economics of it, pandemic or no pandemic. Uh, <laughs> so, that, you know, it sucks. Like, it's, it's, I don't know how the deals are structured for those guys, but if they have upside deals, uh, I feel bad for them, you know, and it's been through no fault of their own. Um, so that, that's my first takeaway. My second takeaway is, of course, they're going to be doing more of these, especially if the customers came away satisfied. And, you know, if the pay-per-view industry should look at, yeah, this is 50 bucks. Like, I don't, I have a feeling the sales would have gone way down had this been 75 or 80 bucks. I think at 50 right. bucks, this is, this is kind of like, okay, I'll do this, you know, um, even in a pandemic. And, 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 and quite frankly, maybe even more so in a pandemic where you're probably not having fight parties and stuff like that. Uh, so, of course, they're going to do it again. And I actually think the cable companies, the satellite companies, are probably kicking themselves, uh, and probably digital too, because I didn't get targeted for this. If I, I mean, my rule of thumb is if you don't target me, and this is all I do on my computer all day. So if, you, if you're not targeting me, like, you know, you, you, you probably didn't run that big of an aspect, <laughs> you know, or, or your targeting was off. Uh, then, you know, the they're probably kicking themselves saying, God, I wish we would have spent some money on this. Think, think about how high it would have gone had we spent some money on this, uh, which mm. is – which is batshit crazy to think, you know, to say it right now. But that's probably what they're thinking. That's what I would be thinking if I if I was if I was there. Well, but I would I would not push back, but I would kind of counter. Well, two things. One is that does this establish that Mike Tyson still is the most marketable name in boxing? Because I don't think they needed to push it because Tyson's name meant that it was in People magazine, meant that it was in totally non, not just non-boxing magazines and publications and TV coverage, but non-sports coverage. Just his celebrity still being on this pantheon of people who have been super famous for, what, 35 years? I think it's 35 years since he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, Do you have to sell it when the name is enough to get people talking and to get all of these publications getting massive amounts of clicks and stuff like that. And, and secondly, like, is he still the most marketable star that boxing has? I mean, Mayweather couldn't drive this kind of thing in America, right? Like, I mean, he, he wasn't even doing it at the end of his career. Well, he was. I mean, he, arguably in just as much of a farcical boxing match, uh, Mayweather more than doubled the sales uh, with with his fight against McGregor. So I, I would push back on that. And sort of, I, you know, I still think well, Mayweather, okay. Mayweather. But, but McGregor, <laughs> that, but, but that's a different thing. Like, think about when he was actually having a boxing match at the end of his deal with Showtime, 
where I think he got like 800,000 pay-per-view buys. The McGregor thing, obviously, we're going to come to that in this list because it's the second mm-hmm. biggest ever. But that's not Mayweather. That's Mayweather's opponent and the novelty of it. But, I mean, Mayweather just in boxing, I don't well, think... I, to, to that point, I'd use your words. Like, we're going to see as they do the second and third and fourth versions of the senior tour, whether this is a novelty act or not. Like, whether this was, I haven't seen, you know, for many people, this may have been, I haven't seen Mike Tyson uh, doing something big since, you know, the, what were those comedy movies he was in, like, 10 years ago or something? You know what I mean? Hangover. It's, 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 hangover. Yeah, the hangover. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, like, maybe it's that. Maybe it's, you know, I've just read a couple weird articles about how much he smokes pot or whatever. Like, it, like it, the, you know, some of the questions are like, are you going to pay 50 bucks two or three times a year to watch Mike Tyson fight, you know, guys that he used to fight or almost fought like 20 years ago on the senior tour and just kind of do body shots? I, I, I don't know. Um <laughs> I, I, two, two million people may not be willing to do that. Now there may be a healthy market of five hundred thousand people out there who are kind of willing, like who think this is fun. And uh, and you know what? In in like that's great. Like then you should keep doing it. <laughs> you know, I, I, like the, I, I uh, but and and I don't know what it means for Triller, like, obviously that's an important component of it. I mean, you know, the, the, my history with this is as I kind of looked at it and got some more information on it, um, I think there was just, this has been tried a bunch before and usually the people that do it fall flat on their face. So I think, I think like the industry in general was, skeptical of this now that doesn't mean that they weren't good people trying to do it it you know and and it, and it wasn't a good idea um but if you know if you would have asked me what a range for this was beforehand i would have said i have no idea it, like if an event like this is done incorrectly it literally might not even happen i mean andy foster was basically running around as many people as he could say like this is not a real fight like the second someone get cut this is not a real fight. He's not even denigrating it. It literally wasn't a real fight. It was an exhibition fight. You know, like, that's what it was. So, I, like, it's like, I don't even think that that's, that was the goal. I mean, these are guys in their 50s, you know, and I think, like, I didn't watch it, but two-minute rounds from what most people told me seemed to actually be a really smart thing to do because these guys kind of ran out of gas around the two-minute mark and then they got to go have a break. So, yeah. Um, what I would say to that is they, they structured it really, really well. Like they actually understood their limitations and, and worked around it. And the fact that customers went home satisfied with it rather than, you know, just a, a one night money grab, that is actually one of my constant complaints about boxing. And I think Bravo, like you, you, you did your thing correctly. Um, you didn't really put anybody at risk. No one, uh, no one got hurt bad, and and you did the right thing. And so, that's if they do it again, and they still between streaming and, and cable companies come close to a million buys again, 
um, you have a really viable business and you have a really fun thing that you're going to be doing. So, good, you know, bravo. That's, that's what I would say. Okay, well, I have a few points there because I, I, I hear what you're saying. But maybe this was sort of like Terminator 2 in the sense of Tyson coming back as like Schwarzenegger where it's like, oh, wow, he still looks great. It still is a lot of fun. But every sequel after Terminator 2 does a fraction of the business. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. I've, I've seen this and it doesn't really, the novelty isn't there. Good comps, you know, but you know what? It still made money, so they did like five more of them. That's, yep. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the thing, you know? <laughs> uh, the next thing is, you know, you make the point about body punching, but is what you're really alluding to, what seemed pretty obvious to me at least watching it, was this did seem choreographed insofar as the specifications of what they were going to do that night. Tyson was not going to swing at Roy's head with anything ferocious. Do you think that there was an implicit understanding between both of these fighters about what they were going to do before they got in there? Well, I think and this is where I credit the California commission. I think they listened to the California commission because I think they, they listened to their instructions and, and they were sitting there like, Hey, let's not F this up for each other because if we do this right, this could be worth a lot of money. And, you know, those were the instructions they got from the commission. Don't don't punch people in the head to the point where it looks vicious. We're going to stop it, you know. And I give them credit for that. I don't. I wouldn't call it. Um, it's nowhere like WWE stuff is is not fake. It's scripted. This wasn't scripted. Like this is absolutely not scripted. This and, and I say that. But, literally without watching it, um, but just talking to people about it. Um, I highly doubt, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, whatever. I, I'm, we can go, this is a much deeper question because I think everybody thinks, you know, not everybody, many people out there are like, why is boxing corrupt, all this stuff, and I'm just, it, it's not, you know. It, it, most of the time, uh, it's, you know, it, it's either incompetence or it's uh, just, so many disparate parties having to, you know, work together and figure it out. It's just unorganized, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think both fighters understood the stakes. I, I'm guessing, at least. I'm, I haven't obviously talked to either of them. But they were. what I can tell you is they were given very clear instructions about what was going to happen if the fight went a certain way. And they listened. And that, to me, I would look at that as, like, that's the same thing every time you step into an actual boxing ring. You get very explicit instructions on what's legal, what's not, and, you know, you got to follow those instructions. Well, but I, but at the same time, I agree. It certainly looked like they listened to the instructions, but they also very publicly said, no, it's absolutely going to be a fight. Royce is well, going to be the most dangerous fight in his career. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just, I'm just kind of amazed that you're right. It's selling the fight, but I'm amazed that they got away with it. I'm amazed that they got away with it looking like the first three rounds of McGregor Mayweather where clearly Mayweather was not swinging. I don't even think he threw more than five punches around for the first three rounds. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Cause that's going to be one of my favorite pay-per-views <laughs> to talk about on that, on that list. And, and, and we, and 
we promised we weren't going to go super long on this, and we haven't even we literally haven't even hit the first pay per view okay. on on this article. So uh, okay, let's, let's start. Let's start. <laughs> let's jump into it. So our basic format for readers is we are going to follow BusinessInsider.com, written by Alan Dawson. This is from January twenty fourth, twenty twenty, but nothing nothing subsequent to when this was published has superseded the list of all the illustrious promotions that Evan clandestinely worked in a marketing <laughs> capacity on. Um, the first, 1990, I think, I think we're the same age. You're 79, aren't you? Are you 80? I'm 103. <laughs> so when Evan was 10 years old, he um, split, his, split his teeth on Buster Douglas versus Evander Holyfield, for a, which got a million pay-per-view buys. This was the moment of truth, October 25th, 1990. This is right after Douglas had beat Tyson. A lot of controversy going into this fight, lawsuit after lawsuit with Douglas, Don King trying to wrestle a title from Douglas, all about whether Tyson knocked him out two rounds before Tyson was knocked out. Um, what's, you know, what was it like being involved in this in a marketing capacity when you were 10 <laughs> years old? You know, this one... Right, so to me, actually, the first thought that comes to my mind with this one is how what boxing was like in 1990, just because there's a picture here on the website, and the picture is of Holyfield walking around, a, a Buster Douglas on, on, you know, clearly being knocked down, and, and uh, you know, the, the referee's about to do the count, and there's a Budweiser logo on, on the ring. And I'm like, man, like, I've never worked on a fight where there was a Budweiser. I've worked on lots of fights where there's a Tecate or a Corona uh, logo on the mat. Uh, but it, it that just kind of tells you where boxing was in 1990. Like, Budweiser was the primary sponsor, and, and, and they were on the mat, you know? How crazy is that? It is strange, isn't it? I mean... I miss this era. I mean, I remember this fight as a little kid, but just boxing's profile at this time was just very different than it is today. I mean, you still, I mean, this is only, God, I mean, just a handful of months, eight months after Tyson's loss. But I mean, Tyson was making just sickening money relative to any other major athlete in the world. So, I mean, the profile of the sport along with him was just in such a different place than it is right now. Also, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, so I was I was a little kid for this, and my boxing not like I was heavily into what was then WWF, what what, what is now WWE, um, and my boxing knowledge rested around Mike Tyson's Punch Out Nintendo game. Um, so I was much more familiar with Soda Popinski than I was with Evander Holyfield at the time. Um, but for me, certainly, like, we didn't, you know, at my household did not buy this fight, but I was, like, semi-aware of it. And I think this was probably the first time, I don't know, it, Holyfield was an Olympian, right? So, so, so this is probably the second time where Holyfield's name has, like, popped up in my worldview as, like, a little kid, basically. Um, but I didn't watch this fight. And looking back on it, it doesn't surprise me that this did a million buys, just given 
how I don't think there's an equivalent for how stunning Buster Douglas's upset was of such a commercial juggernaut in Mike Tyson. Um, so obviously a credible opponent fighting Buster Douglas would do a million buys like that, that in, in 1990s that all like everything about this fight just makes perfect sense to me. Pretty staggering also that Buster Douglas, lest we forget, I think he made $23 million for this fight. The biggest payment that any boxer in history had ever received up to that time. Mm -hmm. For one victory against Tyson, he gets a payday for just walking in fat against Holyfield and totally unprepared, and it sets him up for life. I mean, amazing. Just amazing. Yep. I I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, I I feel like that uh, wouldn't happen in this day and age. Um, I mean, Andy Ruiz... Andy Ruiz is the obvious parallel. But $23 million in 1990, um, Andy Ruiz did not make, what did he make? So he made 6.5 for the first one. Um, Did he make like 15 or 20 for the second one or something like that? I don't think he made anywhere near that for the second one. Okay. I feel like I remember that. Well, he definitely made it. I, I, like that's something. It's it, it's hard with the zone because you don't really know. No, they they got a big fight for that. I'm pretty sure. But but they would have done. And maybe this is the lesson learned from this fight is uh, your your if when Andy Ruiz won, his pay for his second fight was pre negotiated in his contract for getting the Joshua fight. It's a crazy. So you know. So that's that's. That's uh, the lesson learned from from the Buster Douglas, uh, you know, era, so to speak, is ensure that uh, if if you have the commercial juggernaut and someone beats you, you control their salary for the next one, basically. Well, and and the final two questions on that pay-per-view before we rejoin the speed dating of pay-per-views is how far did you get on Mike Tyson's punch-out? And secondly, did you buy Evander Holyfield's Sega Genesis game? I think it was Real Deal Boxing. I never bought Holyfield's Genesis game. Uh, okay. I I was more. Uh, I I I feel like NHL was probably my preferred Genesis game, and mm. and obviously whatever version of football, Tecmo Bowl or Madden, uh, you know, those were always my games. And then, um, I definitely, I don't know if I ever remember beating Mike Tyson. I think I probably did. Most video games like that, eventually, I figured out how to beat. But I definitely fought Mike Tyson numerous times. Um, but I had, I had the most fun is like just beating all the guys on the way up, basically, because that that wasn't that was that felt less of like you had to learn exactly what buttons to you know like. I think there's a way if you're if you're like 19 or 20 and fairly sophisticated at playing video games, um, or I, I guess at least back then, like you know, it's, it's one thing if you're like a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old trying to, you know, figure out how to win. Like the Nintendo games are kind of fun in that you can't actually figure it out how to win, and it's not that complex. Uh, so I, I feel like I got there, but beating Mike Tyson was actually fairly complex. You had to you had to do some moves basically. 
you? How, how far did you get? Did you, did you beat him? I did beat him. Uh, I, I got to a place where after about two months of nonstop playing at a friend's house, I finally found the rhythm to beat him. But, but he is renowned in like the annals of video game history as one of the hardest bosses mm-hmm. that Nintendo ever dished out. Um, I guess like with your involvement at this time as a 10 year old, were you at all involved <laughs> in the in vitro fertilization of King Hippo to create Andy Ruiz? A lot of people don't know about that. <laughs> You know, I was trying to figure out who the stuff like, oh, the fun guys. So I was like, which guy was that? And then you're like, King Hippo. I'm like, obviously, that's, you know, that's <laughs> King, King Hippo is, is you know, Glass Joe, King Hippo, Soda Popinski. What are the other memorable opponents uh, on the way up? Von Kaiser. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the Japanese guy who holds the first title that you get to win. Mm-hmm. Um, Macho Band. I mean, Macho Man is is great fun. Um, mm-hmm. The Indian character who spins around and around. Um, yeah, Soto Popinski is phenomenal. I love the racial stereotypes. If he's a Russian, no, he must be a drunk. As we're going through, well, no, Polish. He's Polish, so he's drunk. Yeah, that, as, as oh, we're right, going right, through right. it, it's, it's yeah, it's it's uh, as you're even listing it out, it's like it's 2020. Uh, you know, cringeworthy in terms of how they set it up, but but I I think <laughs> I think they're you know I think it's all in good fun at least in, in that type of video game. Uh, I, I don't think we'll look at look back at that and you know the PC crowd might look back at that and cringe, but I, I think most people in boxing oh would remember all about that. Tremendous game. Fun with it. Yeah. All right, um, moving on moving on to speed dating and Evan, I am going to give you veto power for anyone that you want to move along so that we can get this okay. done in an hour. Um Bernard Hopkins versus Oscar De La Hoya. This is two thousand four is the next on our list. You know, what was this I, like I, to work on? I'll keep this short. I think the significant so this doing a million buys makes sense. Um the the note Every boxing writer would know that this is kind of, you know, the start of what ended up being a wonderful friendship and business partnership between Oscar and Bernard. And I think, uh, you know, my takeaway from this is, God, Bernard Hopkins is a really, really smart boxer and businessman um, in terms of understanding, you know, most most people who would who beat someone of the stature of Oscar De La Hoya would, would either become enemies with him or, or try to play it up into another fight. And B-Hop thought about the long term. He was like, nope, I'm going to do business with this guy. Like, I, you know, I, I just knocked this guy out. Maybe maybe he was having some personal life problems. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he jumped up a weight class. Much. But, A, I was lucky to get this opportunity because I'm a lot bigger than this guy. Um, you know, he also B Hop is like one of those perennial uh, fighters where he's like I would call, you know somewhere stuck between that A minus and B plus side where he's never really you know if he's the A side it's tough to make it a pay per view and if he's the you know or at least one that sells really really well uh, and if he but if he's the B side you can probably do pretty well with it. Um, at least that was what I would say in his prime, and it's hard to even say what his prime was because he just fought for so long and, and, and was so uh, sort of masterful with that part. But 
that's what I would say. Bravo, Bernard. You know, he had a great long-term view, had a great partnership with Oscar. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I'm terrified that Oscar wants to come back at this point. I'm not sure who he wants to fight, but he's definitely been inspired by this Tyson Jones thing to take a serious look at coming back. How much of that owes to Canelo leaving Golden Boy, I will leave to listeners' speculation, but it's uh, a little terrifying. Well, he was, um, he's been talking about coming back way before that, but uh, you know, that, that, to your point, that can speak to a lot of different a lot of different things in terms of, of knowing when there were problems. Yeah. Uh, next pay per view does the same number of pay per view buys at a million. It's Floyd Mayweather versus Robert Guerrero. I vote that we slide on to the next one because I hated this fight. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would say that the and, and I'll actually this will only be ten seconds. The, the the ten second one on this is this is his first fight with Showtime after he left HBO, uh, and they did a wonderful job marketing to the religious the, the sort of religious crowd that Robert Guerrero went on this sort of PR campaign with uh, this sort of evangelical TV uh, people and, and Showtime. I don't even know if Showtime organized it or if it was just uh, they were the promotions that organized it, but it was a, it was a great idea. They marketed to that crowd uh, and they did a great job and, and that I don't think this was a fight that warrants a million pay-per-view buys and they got there. It speaks to uh, a great job selling this kind of fight. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, Guerrero had a backstory with his wife who was recovering from cancer and it was really hard not to cheer for him and and their relationship. But the fight Mm -hmm. itself, I remember it being just roundly booed throughout most of it, just with the way Mayweather approached it. You know, yeah, credit to the marketing that you did on that fight. Um, Next one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Canelo Chavez Jr. I I I literally did a whole podcast on that. So uh, 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 I don't know. I I could go on for an hour just on this one. Uh, How about we get your top two points about it? This does also a million buys. I absolutely wanted to tune in for this because I'm a sucker for the Chavez. I don't know what it is about him, just the legacy and also just his bearing. This seemed like a hell of a lot of fun, regardless of how it unfolded. And those pay-per-views are always some of my favorite, where I'm not even rooting for either guy. I'm just rooting for what the fight will deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, this The headline is that uh, God, I remember talking with Tony Walker, who was just an awesome, awesome. He's like, if anyone ever got to know Tony Walker, just one of the all-time best HBO people to work with. Um, him and Flora initially. <laughs> I mean, I think it was a relatively difficult conversation where Tony was kind of telling uh, the people at Golden Boy what the initial expectations were for this fight, and it wasn't anywhere close to a million pay-per-view guys, I'll play that. Um, And, I, you know, this was, 
five years before there was like a, a literally an actual debate as to who you would rather have, uh, maybe not five years, five or six, maybe the seven years before it, uh, well, maybe, maybe even five. It, it was like an actual debate as to which fighter you'd rather have. Like, would you, would you rather be golden boy with Canelo or would you rather be top ranked with Chavez jr? Um, and Chavez Jr. kind of had this like magical way of making weight and then rehydrating uh, and using that advantage, and it kind of fit his fighting style perfectly. And Canelo, uh, you know, wasn't was, was viewed as with, with large amounts of skepticism. I, I said this on the on the podcast I wrote for the show, but like I remember writing copy. You know, like we would write copy for, um, you know, part, part of the job at, you know, when you work on a pay-per-view is, is every piece of it you kind of have to go through and, and you're writing copy for, for what the cable systems will use and, and you're kind of going through with the PR people of like how to describe certain things. Canelo was never, like, we never would have used a descriptor of like pound for pound number one or like top five pound for pound fighter Canelo Alvarez super skilled fighter Canelo Alvarez at the time. It was always kind of like matinee idol or, you know, like, right. it, like this coded marketing language. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that by 2017, we all knew going into it um, that this was, you know, we were selling kind of like a farcical fight, but you almost had to sell it like it was an episode of the Kardashians um, was, was, just a, a testament to how far Canelo had come and Chavez Jr. had fallen. And I think the biggest sell was the fact that, you know, this is like kind of one of the things that Floyd did great throughout his career. It's the biggest sell is like you're selling the, that the opponent's credible, you know, like that's the big, that's, a, that's, a, that's the hardest job, you know, that's the hardest job. That's a, that's a uh, great point. Um, do you think that Canelo, from a marketing perspective, is the biggest overachiever in boxing history? Um, it's a great question. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I would have said that several years ago, but I think Canelo – I think I mean, look, at this point, Canelo has a legitimate argument that he is – uh, the you know the top pound for pound fighter right now, and I and uh, it if he were to go back on to pay per view, I think he'd have some work to do because he was off of it at the zone. But I you know he would clearly be the top pay per view star as well, and and that combo hasn't happened. Yeah, I think you could certainly make the case that for most of the last decade, Floyd was the top pound for pound fighter and the top pay-per-view star. I'm not sure if he was still the top pound for pound fighter by the time he fought Pacquiao, uh, but you could cert certainly make a case he was. So, you know, you can say like Floyd had like a pretty solid, you know, seven, eight year run doing that. And I'm not even sure if before, you know, before that, I'm not, I'm not even sure like, who you can say that about for, for quite a while, right? Um, That's a good point. Because, I mean, pre-Gaddy, pre Mayweather couldn't sell anything. Yeah, it was, it was certainly tough for him. Um, 
And I think, and, and I'm just trying to think of like, when was the last time that the biggest star was also the top pound for pound fighter? I'm not yeah. sure if Oscar had ever got to top pound for pound. Um, I don't. Th- I don't Ro- think he did. I don't. I mean, he's I'm close, not sure. Roy. Yeah, Roy also, and Roy was never really the top. Um, I mean, I don't. I you know, look, I don't. I don't know this. I'd have to talk to the the clandestine version of me, but like, I don't even think Roy ever sold a million pay per view buys. Not even close. I think, yeah, I think this was. I think the Tyson fight was the first time Roy ever hit seven figures. That's a fabulous point. That's a fabulous point about that fight. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, okay, so I'm going to put you on the on the spot a little bit here. Our next pay per view, where a boxer is participating, is WrestleMania 24 with 1.58 million. This is 2008. So how did you come up with the idea of bringing Floyd over to professional wrestling to achieve the kind of exposure that he did? I mean, it, it worked so beautifully for his career to infect wrestling fans and try to bring <laughs> them over to his boxing career. Um, oh, God. This is – well, look – Floyd, so first of all, I think Floyd got a pretty healthy check uh, for this. Uh, I know he put it out as $20 million. I, I, knowing the WWE finances a little bit better than that, although I know they're not mostly public, like he probably got somewhere between 5 to $8 million. Like maybe he hit 10 um, But uh, look, the, you know, this is something WWE has been great at. Like they, they – develop these crossover stars. They're doing it with MMA too. So, um, you know, credit to them for recognizing who Floyd is and genius move by Floyd credit to him for going, you know, he, he, he went out there and um, he has this great sense of timing for understanding like when is the right moment to go out there and, and like search to expand his fan base, whether in a, in a positive way or a negative way. Um, you know, he, he was just so great at that. So good, good on him for doing it, and uh, good on them for for getting him. So. Well, and, and good on you for proposing it, because only a year later you have <laughs> you have <laughs> you, you have Mayweather and Juan Ma Marquez gets one one million point six buys. What? Sorry, one million zero six buys. Um, this this was a big fight. This was Mayweather had obviously when he was participating in wrestling, he's had a two year layoff, returns to the ring. I remember a lot of people thinking, is he going to be able to come back? This is a very tough opponent, and mm-hmm. uh, it did big numbers. I mean, it was really the start for for me with like, wow, this guy's found a business model where, like you're saying, if he can make you feel the threat of the opponent he's fighting the pleasure I'm going to derive from watching Mayweather potentially lose is more exciting than watching just about anybody else win. Yeah. And, you know, God, like the two year, you know, it's really weird. And and some of this is the network. Some of this I think is like Mayweather and LRB understanding the brand really well that they created for him. But it's like, 
of this is also, I think, just really creative people telling storylines great, whether whether you want to call it press, like, you know, PR or marketing or, you know, creative marketing. Um, I mean, a two-year layoff for any other boxer is probably – most boxers don't stay – don't aren't in the gym 350 days a year like Mayweather is. Yeah. So it's like like a, a two-year layoff for him is not really a two – like that's just like, oh, he just happened to not fight professionally for two years. But like yeah. he probably never got out of shape. We didn't know that at the time, but now we know that. You know, that, Now we know that he, he, he probably was in the gym more days than many – you know, top fighters are right now, and, and he just happened to have a two-year layoff, which... That's a great you know, point. That's a great point. He's probably, he's better conditioned in retirement than Chavez Jr. is yes. in the lead-up to yeah. the fight. That's, a great, now, that's I, a great point. Well, I think I think this was also, this was this the time where, he, did he actually have to, and this is, I'm messing up timelines here without doing proper research. He, he may have gone to jail for a short period of time for this, um, was that was that why he uh, had part? Of, was that part of it, or you know, that came later? I'm, I'm not even sure to be honest, but it, I, I think that's what that was part of the storyline here is that he actually did have to go to jail um, briefly. But still, I you know I just you know this is him no matter what. It, it's not like oh. for a long time and he you know he just stays in shape. Like that's what he does. Well, and to me the idea that he was willing to embrace martyrdom after being inspired by Martin Luther King going to jail. I'm not touching that. I'm, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm touching it just because I've written about some of, you know, the extent of that and been shunned from his publicity department as a result of just inventorying his numerous crimes against women. But anyway, we will move on to, the next one on our list is Canelo Alvarez and Golovkin, two. So we're getting pretty recent, only two years mm-hmm. ago. This does 1.1 million buys. Um, this was this was big. I mean, this is probably the last biggest fight that boxing has had, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll, you know, this is another one I've talked about. I, I think the headline for this is just this fight should have done so many more buys for a couple different reasons, one of which we'll get to at the very end of this article. Um, uh, or no, no, we won't. Um, but for, for, for a couple reasons, uh, this one was kind of, I want to call it an epic fail. I just think it really underperformed uh, for a variety of different reasons. I've talked about it on my podcast a lot. Uh, but I don't, and I don't want to get too far into it because a lot of it's like very inside baseball. But like, they they just for a variety of reasons they didn't do the right. They just didn't. They didn't do the right things, sort of in in the, the very boring deal making parts of marketing. Um, and I, I think a lot of it was just that HBO was on the way out at this point, um, and everybody mm-hmm. kind of knew it. Interesting. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Big. That's the biggest failure that you've addressed so far of a pay-per-view in terms of its potential and how it was realized. 
Okay. Um, it still did well. You have to credit it. It still did well, but you know, this is like this. Sh this should have done significantly more. Uh, it sh I think it probably should have hit one point four, but but it didn't. So. Well, next one in terms of the product being an epic sale is Bruce Selden and Mike Tyson doing one point one five million pay per view buys. I tuned into mm -hmm. this. This looked like more of a charade than Tyson Jones would 24 years later. Uh, this was a miserably awful fight with Selden. If he didn't take a dive, nothing hit him. It was just pure terror or a panic attack induced <laughs> collapse. But, um, you know, this was, this was Tyson post-prison marketing juggernaut once again. And mm -hmm. he looked... He looked physically great, but these opponents he's facing to unify the titles once again, this was a strange one. This was a very, very strange fight at the MGM Grand in 1996. Look, this is the kind of thing, I, like, <laughs> I love boxing, and, like, 20 minutes ago before I would have got it, like, literally during this call, if you would have been, like, Hey, like who's Bruce Selden? I would have been like, is he the guy? Like I, I would have had to go through my memory to figure out. Oh yeah, he was actually a, a heavyweight that fought Mike Tyson. You know. Yeah. And and I think that's this falls into the category of Mike Tyson's just such a star. You know. Moving do you, on. Do you have any regrets about your involvement from a marketing capacity? in organizing the feud between Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur, which ended up with him getting murdered on that mate to try to bring fans back on the back end to be interested in the fight. Is there, <laughs> is there some remorse for that? I'm not touching that again. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. Well, you're forcing me to, to reach even further when I can going forward. Yeah. All right. Next fight, Manny Pacquiao, Antonio Margarito. This was 1.15 million pay-per-view buys. This was the first major fight that Cowboys Stadium held in 2010. I did attend this fight because Rigondeaux stunk out the arena <laughs> in the, the lead-up. Sorry to say, love the guy, but this was not a great way to showcase to your broad audience that you finally reached. But... Um, Boy, this was an inspiring fight on the part of Pacquiao. I thought he'd bitten off more than he could chew with somebody just so big in Margarito. But, boy, Pacquiao at his peak as a pay-per-view star, this this was a big one for him. Well, this was – I think this was a big one because probably – this is kind of at the height of, like, what can – you know, Pacquiao, Kimmel – like, what can this guy do? It, it, like, like this is sort of like, be, like we know Pacquiao now as a real welterweight, and sort of Margarito is sort of like, you know, he, I mean, he's he's a big welterweight, um, but this was kind of like as Pacquiao, sort of the final leap of of his jumping up of you know, whatever it was, eight weight classes, you know, in a short period of time. Um, so this was still at the moment of, holy shit, can he still do this? Um, and he's also, you know, still sort of that 
freak, you know, whirlwind tear in the, in the ring, and he's, he's obviously adjusted his style since then. Um, you know, and, and Margarito had, had done a great job of positioning himself as a bad guy. So, uh, you know, this is one of those ones where it's kind of like, yeah, good, you know, good job. I, um, you know. I, I remember but, it looking like Little Mac in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out to Pacquiao to, to just the size differential between him and Margarito. Mm-hmm. It just, it was very reminiscent of that game with how Little Mac was just a fraction of, of all the opponents in terms of his size. It was, I, I was blown away by it live. It was pretty inspiring. I hate to yeah. get sappy about it, but it was, I, I didn't think he could do that. It was just, I thought it was just too big an opponent for him, but boy, it was well, impressive. And it appealed to most, I think it, the good thing about this Killed boxing insiders and outsiders, where it's kind of like, as an outsider, just what you said, you're just kind of like, holy shit, like this opponent's credible and really big. And I've kind of watched a, a portion of Pacquiao's journey up this ladder, and I can't believe he's doing this. And boxing insiders are kind of like, well, Pacquiao's way more skilled, but, you know, this is. Like there comes a certain point where the size really does matter, you know, and and we might be at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was a good mix of of, of that as well, uh, where, where it wasn't it wasn't just a, one of those, you know, and we've talked about these previously, like one of you know one of these sort of not I don't want to say truly farcical events, but like it, it wasn't just a, a an event where you knew the outcome going into it uh, if you were a boxing insider. Um, yeah. Where, you know, where we've, we, we've already gone, gone over a couple of those where I'm sure they were like, oh, I'll, I'll pay for the fight, but I'm, I, I know what's going to happen. So. Right. Well, next one is the fourth fight in the Pacquiao-Marquez saga and probably has the most iconic knockout of the 21st century, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So this does really good numbers, 1.15 million pay-per-view buys. Uh, in the lead-up to this, it had an epic trilogy, all close fights. Pacquiao's won twice, drew the other. They're all pretty contentious. You know, I think everybody picked a side of, of who they thought won. Uh, nobody was left to pick a side with who won this one. Um, mesmerizing finish. And Marquez definitely was not using performance-enhancing drugs to assist him in this finish either. I just want to stipulate. I'm not going to touch that. Um, 1.15 million, probably not the correct number. Uh, I, will, I will just, I think that's a little low for what this did. And... Your question is businessinsider.com. <laughs> this is gospel. Uh, I will just say that I was at this fight and I was sitting next to we, HBO and ESPN had negotiated a marketing partnership for uh, boxing at this point. And this was one of the key fights that was part of it. And I was sitting next to some ESPN executives. And when this knockout happened, um, 
the ESPN exec sitting next to me was with, was with his wife and had to take off his coat, put it over her head, and escort her out of the arena because uh, every – I'm assuming they were either Mexican or Me- Mexican-American fan near us was going crazy. And it wasn't – it's not like we were getting pelted with beer cups or anything like that out of sorrow. It was just pure joy. Um, but it, it legitimately – I'm not going to say it felt like I was taking a shower, but it definitely uh, – you you had to have a, your head on a swivel for anything that was just happened to be in the air because someone threw it up in the air out of pure joy. Um, and it was one of those screaming environments um, that, you know, I could say the only, the only comparable environment I felt to this, I was at Mayweather Hat. Um, and after Mayweather Hat, it's definitely one of the only Americans within hundreds of feet from where I was sitting. And, and uh, that one I wasn't an HBO employee for, so I, I, I bought a ticket and was with friends. And, I mean, we definitely, we had British people actually come up and shake our hands during the national anthem because uh, when that fight was over, we had to run to leave the MGM grant, like out of, out of fear. Uh, huh. Yeah, that was, that was fun. And, 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 and the, yeah, the people I was with, I, I was, my, my roommate at the time had played football at University of Michigan. So not a, not like we were just, I was with him and like maybe a, two, a couple other people and it was not as if we were, um, you know, uh, like small people or, or people, you know, like, but we, we all were out, we, we shot out of there. Like that was, I've never exited a, a fight so fast. Wow. That's a great story. Huh. Um, next one, moving along. This is probably one of the fights I hated the most. I hated just from beginning to end, especially the outcome, is Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis. It does 1.2 million pay-per-view buys. This is Lewis trying to just emerge out of, I guess, Tyson's marketing shadow. But instead, you know, you get this unbelievably controversial draw. And... um even Rudy Giuliani, your friend and mine, called it a travesty. Um, you know, what the hell happened here? Well, if Rudy Giuliani is calling it a travesty, then I, you know, I'm kind of speechless reading that. I, 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 <laughs> but I'm like... <laughs> Thank God he's getting what, pardoned in the near future. Yeah, what, what a difference from 1999 to 2020 uh, in what Rudy Giuliani deems to be a travesty. You know, this is, uh, I, I, I just, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I just, I just don't like this was at a time when I was really focused on uh, my wrestling and I wasn't like a fight like this. I like if um, I mean, this, this happened when I was playing, um, I guess I would have. I think I would have been playing 
I would have been rehabbing an injury from wrestling. I just wasn't paying attention to boxing. This was kind of like a year or two where I wasn't paying attention to boxing, so I was like barely cognizant of this fight. Which um, you were you were this, this wrestling career you speak of. This was when you were the Blue Blazer. A lot of people have credited that <laughs> to being performed by Owen Hart, but no, I'll leave that alone. Um, yeah, I, let's let's that should have been a vetoed match. I just, yeah. I hated the outcome of that so intensely. Next one is a terrific one. Oscar De La Hoya versus Manny Pacquiao. This is 2008. Does 1.25 million pay-per-view buys. This was, for me, the start of what, you know, the crescendo was Margarito. But it was, mm-hmm. what is Pacquiao doing with a guy this big? And yeah. the demolishing, you know, whirling dervish is the, <laughs> the analogy that's always used. But I just remember just, jaw on the ground from almost beginning to end of how is he doing this? I've just never seen well, anything like this. This is totally like, see, there's not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even sure. It could be 20 years until there's like another equivalent, not of this specific fight, but of like, because at this point, Pacquiao was kind of this juggernaut who was beating guys, around his, like, who just kept beating legend after legend, sometimes two or three times, uh, who who, um, was his size. And then this is kind of like, what happens if we take this guy and then move him up? I mean, the only equivalent I could think of right now would be like, I guess there'd be like two equivalents. Before Lomachenko lost to Tiafimo Lopez, you would be like, is Lomachenko get fighting guys who's too big for him, but like Lomachenko doesn't have near it's like stylistically, like we're, we're different universes here between him and Pacquiao. And then um, I think had Errol Spence, Errol Spence could have done something like, like there's still like a part of his career where if, if he goes up and fights Canelo or something like that, you're kind of like, man, like it's Errol Spence. And this this would also be like he would he would legitimately need to clean out welterweight division, um, and you know which probably involves a fight against Crawford. You know, there's all these sort of circling things. But then if he were to go up and and fight, you know, he could probably fight a, you know one or two tough 154 pounders. He could probably fight a you know middleweight. I mean, at this point, he's probably fighting Canelo above middleweight. Um, maybe if that's a middleweight fight, but like, but even that, it's just like, it's, it doesn't, it's not the same as this. This was like, wow, you know? Um, yeah, he's packing out five, people thought he was biting off more than he could chew, you know? I think the odds makers thought that too, so. And it was one of, you know, one of the great runs I don't even know if the history of boxing, but one of the great runs in the history of sports, I think, what Pacquiao was doing. Pacquiao, you know, being an Asian-American was really special. Like, like as you were saying, like Jimmy Kimmel, uh, the the Filipino fans were so passionate and just such amazing fans. And he became like an emissary. Yeah, Um, I was in L.A. for this. And it's, like, really hard to um, capture because, like, L.A. has a large – Filipino population and, and like a large Southeast Asian population, but he's also Manny Pacquiao's beating all these Mexican and Mexican American fighters. 
and obviously LA has a large uh, Hispanic population. But by that point, they had gone. You know, he, he's just so lovable that he had gone from villain to like hero for for that population too. You know, in terms of like, um, you, you probably had a lot of Mexican American fans who were rooting for Manny Pacquiao. Um, maybe not for this one, just because Oscar is such an iconic fighter, but like by, by this point you might have, I mean, you know, I mean, we certainly saw it with Golovkin when he was fighting Canelo too. Like you had sort of like hipster boxing people who were like, no man, I'm on team, I'm on team triple G. I'm not on team Canelo. Uh, you know, and, and it's probably the same, same way for this, you know, Pacquiao certainly, uh, just his style was, was perfect for that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's even, a good analogy. It's a good analogy. We can and we can lump this next one. The next one is Pacquiao Cotto. We can lump that into the same conversation. It's, it's, it's all part of that sort of uh, uh, rise, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was the exact same thing. It happens a year later. Does 1.25 million buys, and again, I'm watching with you know between my eyes. It was it was very much what it's like to watch a bullfighter. I mean, Pacquiao has that where in bullfighting, the better you are, the more danger you're in. It's the inversion of what Mayweather does where the better Mayweather is, the safer he is in fights. He can Mm -hmm. dictate what's going to happen and how much danger to accept. Pacquiao was like bullfighting in that. I remember going to an arena in Madrid and them saying, Jose Tomas is, is our best, but none of us have ever seen him because we all are too afraid to look through our fingers. That's how <laughs> I felt watching this was Kodo is so dangerous, is so much bigger, is such a big puncher. I'm going to watch poor Pacquiao, who I love. I love what he's been doing. My barber as a kid was Filipino, who was telling me about Pacquiao before he came to the United States. You have to see this guy. He's incredible. And then I watched his debut fight, or at least I watched him against, I think, Marco, Marco Antonio Barrera just fucking demolish him. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be able to do this to a Hall of Famer when I have no idea who you are. And then he got better and better and better. The bigger he got and the bigger the opponents he took on, the more dangerous they were. It was just incredible. And, and yeah, Cotto was just the next level from – what he did against De La Hoya. So mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. Um, next one is a very controversial fight. This was very frustrating to watch. Floyd Mayweather versus Victor Ortiz does the same number of pay-per-view buys as our last one. This is September of 2011. This bizarre legal punch, gonna, but, but dirty punch to end it. I'm going to pull a semi-veto on this, and all okay. I'm going to say is what. What sticks in my so I watched this fight from Staples Center where Canelo I think he beat off memory this might have been Alfonso Gomez mm-hmm. um, and this is this was the start I think of building Canelo's profile not the start but this is kind of one of one of the first more I mean, first of all guy you look at this now and you're like how did this do 1.25 million buys when Victor Ortiz was the opponent like you know some of that is like how did that happen? And then you, and then I'm sitting here. If it really was Alfonso Gomez, which I think it was, how, like, how was that an opponent for Canelo at the time? But like, we, you know, we got to remember this is 2011, and uh, like, 
you sit here today and you're like, yeah, of course it did 1.25 million because Canelo fought on the freaking undercard, you know, and and they were it was a split site pay per view where both sites sold a lot of tickets, like so, you know, but I mean, you just think about that, you're just like, wow, you know, now someone convinced 1.25 million people uh, to <laughs> that Victor Ortiz had a legitimate shot at beating Floyd Mayweather. Incredible. Incredible. Next one is a weird one, but I think it, it comes into play with what we saw with Tyson Jones, which is KSI, I don't even know who that is, versus Logan Paul, who I barely know who that is because he went to Japan and filmed himself mm-hmm. next to a suicide in the woods and was finding humor in it, which was curious. But this is 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. So... What does this fight say to you? This is 2018 in the Manchester Arena in England, but I mean, this fight says to me that if you sell a pay per view for ten bucks, um, a lot of people will buy it, if, if, even if it's a farcical fight. If it's with two but all, stars, but also just having having the kind of celebrity portfolio that Paul does in terms of Instagram and Twitter and that sort of thing. I mean, massive fallings. Is enough that well, it, you know celebrity guest themselves. Yeah, but it, it, I think that's the wrong way of looking at because like if you like here's here's what I'll say about the Paul brothers. I'll just call it the Paul brothers because um, it's Jake and, and and Logan. So it's like and and in KSI too. Like it's not like K, KSI and and Logan Paul and they did this for the DAZN fight too. That was pay per view, but it's like they took it seriously and they essentially did. YouTube versions of 24-7 in the lead-up to all these things. So all their fans, when they went and watched it, it's not like they're a YouTube star who's doing cooking videos on YouTube each day, and then one day they just get in a ring and fight. It's like, no, like their whole content portfolio is building up this fight, and it's the training and behind the scenes leading up to it. And that stuff is interesting. That stuff is very interesting. So, um, it, it, you know, so, and then when you sell it for 10 bucks instead of 75, like, well, 1.3 million people bought it. And I, I don't actually think, I think the, by memory, I think that there were, they, YouTube, there was a lot of piracy on this because YouTube tried to distribute it. Um, and I think there was like, I think it was 750,000 in the UK or something. I'm going off of memory for this. Um, But there was significant in the United States and in the UK. So um, interest in this. And, and, you know, but that's, it's not like these guys, like they just, they took the traditional model of how to sell a fight that, you know, quite frankly, HBO had done for, you know, over 10 years by that point, and they just converted it to YouTube. And that's how they did it. And good for them, you know? Right. Back to real boxing, Canelo Alvarez, Golovkin won. There's about the same number of pay-per-view buys at 1.3 million. Did this did this perform commiserate with your expectations? I expected more. I worked on this. Um, is it, is it, um, you, know, you do have to remember at this point, Canelo, outside of his fight with Floyd, had had not – um, and, and I talked about this in my podcast about Canelo Chavez Jr. So it's like you, you, everybody has to remember, like, 
Canelo, I, like, I was disappointed with this, but my expectations were probably out of whack. And some of that's because Canelo had not been the A-side of a pay-per-view that had done a million buys at this point. Like, he did it for Chavez. Um, but even that, part of the reason why the expectations weren't super high for that is because they, everybody thought Chavez Jr. was a farce, and everybody was like, well, Canelo's, yeah, he, on, when he was the B-side, he crushed it with Floyd. But, you know, we're, like Liam Smith did 300-some pay-per-view buys, you know, like like not much more than 300, I'll tell you that. And and Amir Khan was like 650, I think was the reported number. My, I think it eventually got to 650. There's definitely a six in front of it. But, like, it's, you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're like, for someone who's the biggest star right now, like that, it's not a, a, an incredible resume. So Golovkin is the first real opponent for him who he's the underdog against in terms of actual skill level and power and that kind of stuff, you know? And um, I think, you know, I would say most people came away who bought this came away pretty satisfied with their purchase. Um, I would say, you know, boxing insiders certainly would feel, I, I think there's a legit argument that Triple G won the fight. But I also think um, it was close enough that this is kind of the first moment where Canelo earned some respect for getting a draw here. And it's like, oh, because a year a year before this, Triple G would have been like an eight or nine to one favorite. Um, mm, and he was less point. than a he was less than a five to one favorite for this fight. And then post fight, you know, you're kind of like, wow, like even if triple G won that seven rounds to five, um, in reality, which he probably did, um, I had no idea Canelo was that good. And now you sit here and you're like, I, I would, there's not a single fighter out there for me right now that's like a legitimate fight for Canelo where I wouldn't call Canelo a favorite, you know? So that's, you know, good for him. Like, you know, he, he, this was, I think, so, and I think that's one of the reasons why the second fight disappointed for me because this first fight, um, you know, really proved Canelo's credentials as a boxer to the general public. I think they just thought he was the next big thing um, but certainly on the inside, you sit there like, God, I, I don't know if he, I mean, like, I, I think he is, he could be the next big thing. I just don't know if he's the next big thing in the ring. And here's where he proved it, you know, so. Yeah. Next fight is Pacquiao, Shane Moley. There's 1.34 million. I'm going to vote that we pass this one over. Yeah. Uh, Let's be Let's go down. So the next one's Floyd versus Shane, 1.4 million. Uh, I'm shocked that it does those kind of numbers. I mean, this is an old Shane Mosley in a weight class that was a challenge for him. Although it was the closest that we ever saw Mayweather to, to potentially losing by well, a, like, the, a knockout. Yeah, that's the headline. And what I would say to that is this, this was the moment where I was like, because I was there in person for it, and you're just like, I, like I think there's a lot of questions about Floyd. I come on, God, I come off on my own show sometimes, and, and talking with you as such a Floyd lover and, and apologist. Uh, Adore him. But um, no, I, well, you you obviously we we, um, we 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 tend to disagree 
uh, on this. But I, like, this for me was where I was like, yeah, at this point, the talk was, oh, does Floyd Mayweather have a chin? And I've always just thought he's great. And I was like, you know, this is the moment where it's like, yeah, A, Floyd Mayweather, we've never had to see if he has a chin because he's a great fucking boxer, you know. And B, now he gets hit. And not only does he have a chin, he knows exactly what to do when he gets hurt. Like, he handled this perfectly. Uh, he held on, recovered his wits, and by the end of it, basically was winning the round and never lost another second of the fight. You know, so it's kind of like, yeah, he's awesome. He's a great boxer, and he has a chin. Like, there, there's no – you're not, you're not going to go bully Floyd and, and, and quote-unquote test his chin and he doesn't have one. No, he's got a great chin. 100%. No, I totally agree. And when I wrote about this fight, I said, as a testament to Floyd's genius, is that he was more composed taking the biggest of his career than than Mosley was after landing it. Mosley yep. didn't know, look like he didn't know what – he was in shock that he landed it. He landed another big one, and I totally agree. It is the big thing that separates Floyd from Roy Jones Jr. in his prime is we don't know what Jones's chin was like because it was never tested. But once it was tested, we know what that mm-hmm. looked like again and again and again. Floyd, whether or not you scored you know, his most contentious fight against Castillo, which I had him losing by two rounds, but I give him full credit, he took the rematch right away. And here you saw what it was like if he took a really hard, clean shot from a decent puncher and it was tremendous what it revealed. So I think it was a major ingredient in cementing his legacy as just such a complete fighter for his era, as the best fighter of his era. Mm-hmm. See, we agreed. Come on. Come on. There we go. There we go. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, uh, interesting fight, Oscar De La Hoya versus Felix Trinidad. This is 1999. Does 1.4 million pay-per-view buys. I was a huge Trinidad fan. And aside from this podcast being affiliated with Oscar De La Hoya, who owns the ring, um, was not a huge De La Hoya fan at the time. But the mm-hmm. so-called fight of the millennium, uh, I'm kind of surprised it didn't do bigger numbers, given both of these guys and their audience and just That's- the fight happening when it did. That's my thing. So if you're if you're keeping up with the article at this point, this is the number fifth, or or it is tied with Holyfield Foreman um, at 1.4 million buys as the number 14 highest um, pay-per-view seller of all time. And what is shocking to me with both of these, I'll, I'll loop these together, is that with the way that these sort of stars were in this moment, it's actually shocking to me that they didn't do better. Um, and this is kind of like, so De La Hoya Trinidad is like this classic example of like, Oscar's got this Mexican-American audience, Trinidad's got this Puerto Rican-American audience. You bring them together, they're two different audiences coming together. It should be huge. You should also be capturing the general boxing public. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great recipe to get more than 1.4 million pay-per-view buys. Um, you know, and I think, I think like, you know, Holyfield Foreman slightly different, but still, like, these are heavyweights, and Foreman was just such an incredible star, like, star power at this point, like, kind of everybody knew who he was, like, I, I was, you know, there were very few boxers 
when I was between the ages of like seven and 15, let's say, where I was like very consciously aware of who they were. And George Foreman was one of them, you know? So it, it kind of shocked me that these weren't a little bit higher, um, you know, closer to 2 million uh, pay-per-view buys. So I don't well, know what that's a, a little detour from like a fight like this or the one that does comparable numbers, Holyfield and Foreman. I mean, how would, how would the 100-meter dash do if we were asking $80 for a pay-per-view event? If Usain Bolt in his prime to watch that, we ask the world to pay that, or the Super Bowl, or the World Series, or, you know, big big events. You know, is is boxing in a better place than those other sports? Is it better positioned to have its audience fork over the money for that, do you think? It's a great question, because I think most people only tune into the Olympics for that kind of stuff, but um, it's a great question. I don't, I don't even know if I know the answer to that. I think, I think they're just different niche you know, boxing is more of a constant niche sport, whereas, like, track and field is kind of like an every four years niche sport, so to speak. I'll accept that. I definitely want to skip Pacquiao, Marquez, three. I, I just don't give a Well, we covered four. One. Yeah, so three yeah. is different. And and I think, I think actually, Mayweather-Koto, we can probably skip that, too, because that was just, you know, it, that's number 12 on this list at 1.5 million, and I think that is the – perfectly right number for it. I think that's just evidence that, of what happens when Floyd fights, you know, Cotto's in that B plus A minus side where if he's, if he's the A side, it's a tough sledding pay-per-view sell. If he's the B side, you're going to crush it. And that's what Floyd did with, with this fight in terms of pay-per-view buys. Um, can, can we veto Mike Tyson, Peter McNeely? No, we absolutely cannot, because I think this is a very important fight. Vis-a-vis where we're headed with pay-per-view is that Tyson coming out out of prison after a rape conviction where he says, oh, I was innocent, but I did do six to seven things that were far worse than why I'm here, emerges even more marketable with the biggest pay-per-view in history up to that time, with, I think, a price point that was unprecedented against fucking Peter McNeely. So, come on. Is this marketing success, or is this all on just Tyson's uh, marketability and celebrity and, you know, a must-see event? I'm going to go ahead and say that so there's, there's a lot of different factors working here for this. Um. Given the year, so I think a lot of this is just purely Mike Tyson's star power. Um, given the year where this happens, I think the fact that he is fighting, there is this great white hope element to it, um, which is one of those things where, I think, like, you know, people talk about that, you know, this got brought back up for the, the Gregor fight with, with Mayweather, too, and I think that's, I think people quite understand how this works in boxing, like in boxing right now, if you have a white American fighter who's really good, like I'm not sure that's a positive thing. Like I think if you're trying to create the perfect boxing star in a lab in terms of true marketability, like it's, it's, he's a Hispanic um, sort of action fighter who's, who's really, really good. Um, you know, you know, who's, you know, 
also his skill level is good enough to kind of do what Canelo is doing. But like, uh, I, obviously, Canelo speaks not enough English for this, you know, to truly break out. I think, uh, but back then, that kind of thing would definitely capture the American public um, in a way that, that I just I don't think it would right now. Um, I think that's part of it. I think Tyson star power is part of it. Um, I don't, I mean, you know, the jail thing is, it's, it's tough for me to go back into the mindset of when this fight happened because I was so young and there were probably a lot of nuances that both of us can't quite grasp. I, you know, I, I don't know, but the, I think the jail thing is interesting, but it's not, I mean, clearly in, in combat sports, the paying customer, it's kind of like a running scene here, like doesn't really care that the fighter went to jail. Am I, am I okay saying that? I, like I, I, or like uh, that he went to jail. Yeah. I mean, has America turned the corner where we're rooting for the villain? We, we like the black hat and, Tyson was as dynamic as any villain that that sports has ever created, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did he did no marketing for this fight. There were no real interviews. I mean, here and there, but he did nothing. And like look what he did for the Jones fight. He was everywhere. Mm-hmm. For this he was. he was nowhere and that was even more alluring. It was more dramatic. Just like not wearing the robe you know, the famous Sphinx fight, entry music, where it's just, quote-unquote, noise. He did the counterintuitive things and stripped things down where everybody was trying to build things up, and it just made him more interesting, stand out more. And uh, I just remember the build-up to this fight being pretty much unlike anything. Like, that wasn't a major match between two opponents where you didn't know who was going to win. This was, I mean, I don't know that it, it did feel a bit like a sideshow, but it was all about Tyson. I mean, he, he could have fought anybody and was going to make, you know, he made $25 million fighting Peter McNeely. I mean, that is a very interesting statement of a commodity's desire yeah. that we have to, to engage with it. And it was a horrendously awful fight on top of that. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's like you look at that part and you're like, like, did people, like, people had to know that was, see, that's where I can't truly place myself because I wasn't, like most people, I, I was aware of this fight. I had no idea who Peter McNeely was before they trotted him out to the general public. And I think, like, most people's reaction to this just would be like, who, who is this guy, you know? Yeah, awful. Uh, next one was a very strange fight sort of echoes of Buster Douglas is Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. It's amazing that this is only like a year and a half after, uh, I guess only, yeah, about a year and a half after McNeely, but he gets Holyfield. Holyfield looks terrible against your favorite fighter, Bobby, the matinee idol, Chez. So it looks (laughs) like it's easy pickings for Tyson the odds are enormously in Tyson's favor, and um, he just gets the shit kicked out of him in this fight. Yeah, I, I don't even 
I don't even really know what to say about this, like, uh, because this is that period where I wasn't super aware of what actually happened in the ring or in the buildup, but, like, I mean, this is clearly, you know, I mean, this is clearly Holyfield kind of reaching his, you know, reaching his sort of commercial peak, so to speak. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And do you think, I mean, you didn't really answer my question. Do you think the opponent that Tyson's publicist was tempting me with, you know, that there's going to be more news soon, is it that Holyfield is going to be the next opponent for Tyson? Is that the most logical opponent for Tyson from a marketing perspective? I would assume so. I would assume okay. so. Okay. Next fight we're going, we're getting close. We're getting close to the top of the list. Is again Tyson, Tyson versus Lennox Lewis at just under 2 million pay-per-view buys. This was a tough fight to watch. I was in, living in Spain at the time. I got up at 3 in the morning to watch this, and I was not a happy camper with what unfolded, even though it was kind of all too predictable. Um, but this does gigantic revenue for both fighters, and, and the pay-per-view is enormous. I mean, I think this was a... Again, maybe a new price point for a fight, but uh, very controversial in the lead-up. Tyson biting Evander Holyfield on his leg, and uh, I remember a big line of security in the ring before they fought. Uh, but I mean, does this does this just have all the ingredients in terms of removing this is one icon? Seven. So this is number seven, and number six is is. Holyfield, uh, Tyson too. And yeah, this is like, these are all kind of, you're just, you're taking credible fighters and, um, and, and they're building themselves off Tyson's star power, you know? Yeah. And both of these guys never, never really had much star power of their own, like nothing close to Tyson, did they? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we can Pretty much. we can just yeah. we can have both of those guys together. The Holyfield two. I think everybody knows how that thing unfolded. Mayweather Canelo. That's a good one to jump into. Two point two million pay per view buys. Were you at HBO at this point working on this? Well, this this was a Showtime fight. So I was at I uh, I was at HBO, and this was sort of this was the first one when when Mayweather had left HBO. I think the general feeling at HBO was um, they, they, Showtime overpaid for Mayweather, and this was the first one where we were kind of and you know the the, the first like even with the Guerrero were like and eh, they'll probably lose money, but they did get Mayweather. Maybe it'll work out. This is the first one where like oh this is this is gonna work out for them. This is this is gonna work out for them. Um, and. You know, Canelo clearly took the fight too soon, but I think it helped him out. It helped build his star power. Um, and this truly, you know, this is like, okay, yeah, Mayweather's a true star. Um, That's good. We got we to gotta wrap up, so we got to go quick here. Yeah. So, number three, Oscar De La Hoya versus Floyd Mayweather. Gigantic fight at the time. Super close fight, but, I mean, is this just – just, you know, good versus evil in terms of their reputations in the sport? Like, does it just have everything you need to have, like, a pay-per-view bonanza? Yeah, and this is the debut of 24-7. That's the headline. Right. That's right. the headline. 
Mayweather-McGregor, um, we have a sideshow, but does gigantic numbers at $4.3 million. Did you ever imagine it could do those kind of numbers for something so – I mean, I remember doing a lot of media for this, and they say, doesn't he have a puncher's chance? Doesn't he have a puncher's chance? And I said, there is more likelihood of McGregor losing this by a pulmonary embolism than by no, – this, this is – and and I'll, I, I, I had left – Boxing, and I literally tried to convince the CFO at the startup company I had. I was like, the odds for this are only five to one for Mayweather. You should take all the money we have and bet it on Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> there is never an easier time to put like a million dollar bet down. Even if you don't want to take all of it, take a million bucks. Like, there's never a better time to make 200 grand. There just never is. So, um, great. Last one, Evan. Mayweather yes. Pacquiao. Let's get to it. Finish it up. Uh, I mean, like this. This is just. This is the culmination. This is what happens when you wait seven years to get the fight that you want. Um, <laughs> of course, it. Of course, pay per view. It, it. It doubles the the biggest fight you've ever done. It's incredible. Um, you know, and and it and it's four point seven million. I think it's. I think in retrospect, it actually it it it's got higher numbers since then. Um, my biggest memory of this was texting friends who were asking me when the main event was going to happen and and saying that Time Warner Cable System um, had broken down and it was uh, um, there was going to be about a forty five minute wait and and how deflating that was to all my friends on the East Coast. Um, but uh, you know. Is what it is. Um, I, I wish boxing could have capitalized on this better, but it didn't. And here we are. So, if it happened earlier, do you think it would have been good for the sport as opposed to the massive indictment it sort of has in terms of the stench of its legacy? Yeah, I, I think it would have been much better for the sport. It would have sold less pay-per-views and been much better for the sport. And it, it didn't change. Evan, you got to you got to run. Thank you so much yes. for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, man. This is awesome. Okay, talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcon Swaby and myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Thanks for listening. 